Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. Let me say what Michael made. Michael made turkey breast. He made stuffing. He made green beans with crispy onions. A, a garlicky green bean with Really, crispy really onions. good. That sounds fantastic. Um, and then for dessert, just to show me... You know what I really mean to him. He made a pumpkin cake, knowing I would never eat it. <laughs> I heard you like pumpkin. A pumpkin cake. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Still eating turkey and happy to be eating turkey. Turkey breast, very, very good. Happy to do that. The kids took down that pumpkin cake. <laughs> they uh, the they ate it? Yeah, they destroyed it all weekend. Fantastic. Good. <laughs> There's another piece here if they want to come over. <laughs> Thank you. I'll save that for you. Yeah, we'll have that. Uh, a couple of small thoughts to begin with to Dusty in Hazelhurst, Georgia. We are sorry for your loss. We're glad to know that the podcast helps. Very glad to know. From Tyler Etchenkamp in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, th- this was sent in October, and he said, On the latest episode of the pod, you received an email from Jared the Gummy Bear Guy and reminded us of your love for Albany's gummy bears. However, when pressed about gummy worms, you were hesitant. So I must ask, what exactly is the difference that could cause you such hesitance? Because as far as I can tell, the difference between gummy bears and gummy worms is one is bear-shaped and the other is worm-shaped. Oh. That's it. That's the list. I'm not going to get into denial about this. I'm not going to tell you that there are differences that are obvious to me and not to you because there probably aren't any differences. I just know that when I started eating gummy worms, they were not as satisfying as gummy bears. That's all I can say. I I can't give you a reason. But more fun to play with. Yes. Yeah, because they're longer. Right. You know, you can... Yeah, well, you can pull them... Make fake Elongate them and stuff like that. You can do more with them. I, I just... There was something about the gummy worms that did not appeal to me. But I... But Tyler's right. There's the only difference is the way they're shaped. They're not using some special ingredient (laughs) in a gummy worm that was foreign to me. So I understand that. All right. A bunch of things. First of all, let me give credit to odds makers (laughs) for knowing what they're doing. For example, going into the Sunday game, Cincinnati was minus three on the road against Tennessee. I was very surprised Cincinnati was a road favorite. Tennessee had won a bunch of games in a row. Cincinnati's a good team. Tennessee's a good team. I thought Tennessee would be a favorite. If not a favorite, pick them. Very surprised at this. The game ended up a four-point game. Cincinnati won by four. You do the minus three. Cincinnati wins by one. Everybody on our side of the street took Tennessee, and everybody lost. Okay, Smart odds. One more like that as well. Uh, what am I looking for here? Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Tampa Bay minus three and a half. They go to overtime. I mean, Cleveland wins the game, but Tampa Bay minus three and a half. And you say to yourself, well, if it's a field goal, I can't win. I can't win. Yeah. You know, and that was really smart odds. Green Bay, Philadelphia. Green Bay plus six and a half. It ends up as a seven point game. You like Green Bay because you think it's a lot of points. You take it. You lose. You lose by a half point. These people know what they're doing. I just wanted to say that. How did, the, uh, how did people fare over the weekend? Well, we're not in- entirely done oh, yet. Oh, that's right. We have Monday night. We're not yes. entirely done yet. But now, so this l- leads to something. 
Once again, Reginald had a winning record. Once again, Reginald is ahead of the pack. He's 23-12-1. He was 2-1. So he's plus 11. Nobody else is plus 11. He rides those commanders. You know, with, <laughs> yes, he yeah, does. he does. Yes. Jeff Ma finished 3-2 and two and won his last three games. He called Jacksonville plus four against Baltimore. Did not see that coming. Uh, I didn't see that one coming at all. <laughs> yes. I really didn't. He called the Raiders plus four against Seattle. And they got both of those teams got late scores to change the course of the game. So he's 31, 23, and 1. So he's plus 8. It's the Carville thing that's difficult for me. Carville, as we know, had his all-star lock of the year, his five-time play. So does that mean if he loses, he loses five times, and if he wins, he wins five times? Because he won. Yes, that's Kansas State was an 11.5-point favorite over Kansas. Carville said in his fractured English, and take him. And... They won by 20, so Carville won. So if he gets five for that, and I think that's fair, if he yes. gets five for that, even though he makes up his own lines all the time, wherever he's going, he's making up lines, then he was nine and three this week. Instead of being four and three, he was nine and three. Instead of being five and three, he was nine and three. So he's 34, 23, and two. He's plus 11 as well. That's amazing. Now, the percentage is better right. for the monkey. We're not even going to talk about Chuck for a second. But I, I'm, you know, it's remarkable how sometimes the odds makers get it. Yeah. They get it and they kill you in the end. Well, that Dallas, that Dallas Giants game. <laughs> what you said. Well, Chuck Todd, with eight seconds to go, finally got a win. Yes. As the Giants uh, had a meaningless score to everyone but the people who <laughs> took the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> took yes. the Giants with 11 or whatever it was. What else did I, I wanted to talk yesterday. We'll talk to Wilbon about this. There were two two-point conversions at the end of games. Coaches, two different coaches, the coach at San Diego or whatever they call themselves these days. Now, that's I think his name is Brandon Staley. He's a young kid, and he goes on fourth down. Every time. All the time. Wilbon hates him because he goes on fourth down all the time. He went, and he won. That was the second one. The more impressive one, actually, was Jacksonville. Um Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence led them down the field twice in the fourth quarter to beat Baltimore. I'm not being critical of Lamar Jackson when I say this thing because he's a great quarterback. When they lose, they lose in the fourth. Like, I don't think that's him. I think it's their defense. When they lose, they lose in the fourth. And Justin Tucker, by the way, if that's from one yard closer, like 66 instead of 67, that's good. Mm-hmm. He's the best kicker of all time. Yes. He's the best kicker the of all time. surprise on everyone's face when it comes just short. Then you, you again realize where he is on the other side of the field. He's, yeah, he's beyond <laughs> he's the 50. He's one of the same 10. He's really something. So the Jacksonville one, I'd have gone. Doug Peterson goes. They're three and seven. What's the difference if they lose? They're not making the playoffs. And if they win... That's an enormous momentum boost, one would think. So I'm with that one. I wouldn't have done it if I was the Chargers coach. I'd have played for the tie and gone into overtime. I asked Wilbon about this. We're going to get Wilbon on in a second. Wilbon said he'd have gone on both. But Wilbon's always the guy who screams, too many people go. (laughs) Too many people go for two. Too many people go, you know, for fourth down. So I guess we'll have to ask him about that. I wanted to wish the socialite a birthday. Oh, Yesterday was the socialite's birthday, so happy birthday to the socialite if yes. he is listening. And I wanted to just briefly mention this one thing. 
sometimes the wellspring of your memory pops up when you least expect it. You don't know why you remember something. Now, Michael is cursed or blessed with an unbelievable memory. You know, Michael's got one of those memories. So it's a little bit different from me. I have no memory. Things wash out in 24 hours for me most of the time. Now, I do remember rock and roll songs from the 60s. You know, and I remember Frank Sinatra tunes and stuff like that that I listened to when growing up with my parents. I remember those things. Those were imprinted on my brain. But I thought of something this morning as I was laying awake in pain from what may not be sciatica, but what is definitely a degenerative arthritic condition in my spine. We we had the MRI. Thankfully, we had the MRI. Glad to have done that. My great thanks to... um, Dr. Kevin McGrail for arranging that for You were able to yesterday. sit still. I took uh, a drug, a narcotic drug, that he said would take away not the um, tingling that I feel up and down my leg, but the pain from it. And I was able to be in that tube, and I'm not claustrophobic, so it didn't really matter to me. I just closed my eyes. I basically went to sleep for right. about 40 minutes, and I was able to do it. Yeah, I didn't move at all. You know, like it's possible they thought I was dead because I there was no movement by me. So yeah, I did that yesterday afternoon and got home in time to watch the witching hour. It <laughs> made perfect. me pretty happy. Yeah. Made me pretty happy. Um, so in in what happens is I get up and I walk around and I try and lay down and the pain is too great and I get up and I walk around and I'm not kidding when I say I do this from about eleven o'clock at night to five in the morning. Ugh. And maybe I can sleep for an hour. Maybe I get lucky. But most of the time, I'm simply walking and then alighting on a piece of furniture. And the pain is too great. And I walk again. And whatever I take, it's, it's really not strong enough. It's really not. And, I, and if I take something strong enough, that's a bad idea. You know, you reach the, the tipping point, And that's a bad idea. So I'm living with the pain. And I'm able to complain about it on the air, which makes me pretty happy. At one point... In laying down, trying to move my leg around to get some relief from the pain, at one point, a song pops into my head, a song that I have never thought of for at least 60 years, at least, maybe 65 years. And I'm going to go back, and people who are old enough to know this will know what I'm talking about. There was a period of time when television shows had original music created for the shows with the title of the show in it and it had lyrics it wasn't some great musical interlude like on hill street blues that had no it had had only music and is great and is memorable but most of them had songs the last great tv song i'm sure we can agree is cheers yes that's the last great one the lyrics of that are wonderful they accurately tell you what this show is about and why you're going to watch it When Listen Up was on for one season, we didn't have any lyrics. We just had bing, bing, bong, bong, bing. And that was it. And that was unsatisfactory to me. I mean, if I'd known it was going to be that, I'd have tried to write the song myself, except I have no musical talent. So I would have had to get somebody to write the song, and then I would try to have written lyrics. And I could have tried the Cheers theme. I could have done that because Applebee's bought it. I mean, if Applebee's can steal, it's like when Ruby Tuesday... Stole the stones. What are you doing? It's not enough that you stole the name. You got to steal the song too. Anyway, in the old days, old days, 
there were songs that went along with the show. And I hadn't thought of this show, Maverick, in a long time. Oh, sure. Maverick was a story of Brett Maverick, a gambler. There was Brett Maverick, who was played by James Garner. That's right. Who later uh, had another big hit with the Rockford Files, <laughs> whose actual name is James Bumgarner, as in Madison Bumgarner, and who I believe is from that area of North Carolina. You could look this up. I could be wrong about this. But James Garner was a iconic television actor. Everybody loved James Garner. And the premise of the show was they were usually on a riverboat, right? On a Mississippi riverboat. Yeah, and James Garner was Brett Maverick, who was a gambler. And his brother, played by Jack Kelly, was Bart Maverick. And a couple of seasons in, they introduced a cousin, Bo Maverick, who was played by um, the guy who played the saint. I'm blanking, I'm blanking on the handsome Englishman. Oh, handsome uh, Englishman. Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Roger Moore was Bo Maverick. And the song pops into my head, the Maverick song. You know, I, I, I was just stunned as the lyric came back to me about, you know, Brett Maverick. Um, what is it? Something is adventure. Gambling is his game. And I just kept repeating this. Gambling is his game. Gambling is his game. That's how they would tell you. What, you know, do they list the song there? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Theme song lyrics. Hold on. Yeah. Give me the theme song lyrics. Uh, it's see. luck is his companion. That's it. Luck is his companion. Gambling is his, his game. Yeah. That's the critical line in the song. Who is the tall dark, dark stranger, stranger there? there. Maverick, Maverick is, is his name. Riding the trail to who knows, knows where. where. Luck, luck is, is his companion. companion. Gambling, Gambling is, is his game. game. Smooth as a handle on a gun. Well, I don't know that part. Okay. I Maverick. don't know that part. Maverick is the name. When was that? Now, that show had to be in the early 1960s. It had to be. It's, it's not much later than that. It was around the time of Bonanza. It's in the 60s. You know, and, and I hadn't thought of it at all. And this is what happens when you're in pain, you know, and, and your mind is wandering. You'll do anything to get off the pain so things flood into your head this whole time i thought you're about to start singing the darkwing duck theme song i don't know what that is <laughs> okay is that for kids now yeah don't worry it was, it was more my uh my is childhood that stinky and dirty no nothing comes that's close a dan burns song dirty. yeah that's so they the list, does it list the, the dates 1957 was the first episode 1962 the last yeah. all right so it's at least i've told it's you Tony's 60 pocket. to 65 years yeah by the way, five seasons, 124 episodes. A lot of episodes. They're not doing that anymore. Hour, hour long. <laughs> right. Yeah, luck is his companion. Gambling, Gambling is, is his game. game. Yeah. Who is the tall, dark stranger there? Maverick is his name. And I don't know. I mean, I can't explain how that happened. Did not come to me in a dream. No, I was wide awake. And I can visualize what he looks like. The vest. Oh, the brocade yeah. vest. Yeah. Now, you don't know, Michael, you've never heard of Maverick. Hearing about it for the first time, and I'm guessing this is going to be a crossword clue for me in the But I'm not, I'm not certain. I would say this. I'm not at all certain that in Top Gun, the Maverick character isn't based on oh, Brett Maverick. Sure. I think it very well could be. I don't know that for a fact. And now there's a golfer out there named Maverick McNeely who was certainly named after the Top Gun character. Right. Did, is, is James Garner from 
Um, North Carolina, that area where Actually, Madison Bumgarner I is from? I think it said he was from, from Oklahoma and okay. then later, later moved to uh, Los Angeles. But does it say it's Bumgarner is his yes. name? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, his name James is Bumgarner. Scott Bumgarner, yeah. A lot of those people changed, like, changed your name to Rock Hudson, but he just shortened his last name. Uh, it's he, a very, I don't know if you can see it anymore. It's a very good show. Well, it's a secondary Popular pitch. show. What's well, a secondary pitch? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a slider. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, born in um, Denver, Oklahoma. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, that's all I had. But, yeah. but it was it was weird and it's 65 years when it started. And it was a you know, that Maverick and the Ponderosa show Bonanza. Bonanza was a big one. Bonanza was a real big one. Now, was, was Gunsmoke that- was really big. Bonanza I don't think had lyrics. Everybody knows the driving melody of their song, yes. but I don't think they had lyrics, but a lot of a lot of television shows had lyrics. Was that Michael Landon? Was he on that? Sure. With Lorne Green? Am I, am Lorne I... Green, who had come down from Canada, where I believe he was a newscaster. Okay. And he became Adam, not Adam Cartwright. He was the head guy. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't Ben, ben Cartwright? Ben Cartwright. Yes. And then their sons in order were um, <laughs> Adam this. Purnell was the oldest one, uh, or something Purnell. And he was Adam, the firstborn. Dan Blocker was Haas, and Michael Landon was Little Joe. That's I remember that. That's pretty good. But everybody who was old enough remember. Wilbon, I know, remembers that. And I will say this. We can't repeat this this conversation on the air, but if you ever watch the movie Tin Men, oh, there's yeah. a lot of discussion about Bonanza. Yeah. From some of the yeah, characters. it's a great movie. <laughs> the entire trilogy, the entire trilogy of the Baltimore movies are, are oh. absolutely great. Yeah. They're absolutely great. Diner, Tin Men, and the third one... Is of course escaping me now. It's a it's somebody's address or something like that. What's the third one? I can't. Do you remember. know these movies at all? Never heard of any of them. Yeah. What if these oh lo- no, these are great. What no, if these low diner, Tin Men, and Avalon? Memories. Avalon, that's it. Yes. Diner, Tin Men, and Avalon yes. are the three by the same guy. He yep. wrote them all. Barry Levinson. Yeah. Barry Levinson wrote them all. Phenomenal. Yeah. Great. I'm I'm rambling. Uh, it's I got to stop. <laughs> this, these are the drugs. I'm rambling. I uh, will get out of here. Wilbon will join us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Eric Lee Carter from Athens, Georgia, who listens to the podcast and says, one of my favorite things about the show is the original music segment. I've been meaning to try and send something in for ages. So I've sent in a couple of tunes from my band Bloodkin, and here is a brief history. I met Daniel Hutchins in a small town of Ripley, West Virginia in 1973 when I was all seven. We quickly bonded over a mutual love of comic books, baseball cards, and basically sports in general. As we got older, it developed into our love of television, movies, books, and chiefly music. We started writing and playing together in our teens, with him supplying most of the lyrics and vocals, with both of us shaping the music. Um, They worked together for a long time. Bloodkin was born... Uh, they gradually found kindred spirits to play with, and in 1994, finally recorded an album with the legendary producer Johnny Sandlin at the helm. He used to play out an endless stream of dive bars, house parties, and whenever else would pop up. Sadly for 
Eric, um, Daniel Hutchins, suffered a massive stroke and would pass away just a few days later. And this legacy is their music. This is a song they'll play twice for us today. This is a song called Man in Trouble, and it plays in Mike Wilbon. And I was talking before, you know, in the first segment, I was talking about the fact that in the middle of the night, as I was literally walking and pacing around my house and then trying to find a place to sit or lay down where my leg would not throb, Maverick came into my head. And the song, Who is the Tall Dark Stranger There? Um, gambling is his game. You know, luck is his, com- no, luck is his companion, gambling is his game. Who's the Tall Dark Stranger There? Maverick is his name. And then I segued from Maverick, and you may be too young for Maverick, but I segued into, oh, no. I segued into the Ponderosa. And I am yeah. betting that you can tell us the names not only of the three sons of Ben Cartwright, but who played them as actors. I can, can you? I, Tony, Tony, I can do a multiple choice. If I'm looking at it in front of me, I can get them all right. Okay. But I can't, I, I, I'm at the stage now... Well, I can't think of anybody's name that I'm not, like, re- directly related to. <laughs> if I got to come up with names. I remember, yeah, I, I, could, I could tell you. I, I occasionally watch it now. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and especially if I'm in Chicago where old TV is a much bigger deal than here. Um, so you not only have me TV, but you have uh, decades you have Antenna. These are the names of the networks. Wow. Yeah, and I, I sit around, you know, I'll watch all this stuff. I'll get off a of sports center and I'll watch all these things, including the Cartwrights, and I'll watch Big Valley because um, I was, when I was a kid, like a lot of... Barbara Stanwyck. Bar- yeah, Barbara Stanwyck. Well, do, do you remember the three um, Mavericks? Do you remember their relationships and the three of them, or should I just tell you? No, tell me. Okay, so there was Brett and his brother Bart. And then their Mark. cousin Bo, who was you know Roger, Roger Moore, Roger Moore, who ultimately Moore, played yeah. um, James Bond. So here are here, if I recall correctly, the three sons in order. Um, the first guy was Purnell, and yeah. he played Adam Cartwright. Purnell, and, and then Dan Blocker, Dan and he Blocker. played Haas. That's right. And Michael Landon, and he played Little Joe. Now, I haven't thought of, I swear to you, I haven't thought of the Maverick theme song in about 65 years. And I'm yeah, older you than you. Every, you remember I remember all. it. Yeah. I remember it. I don't remember the, I, I remember hearing it. Um, there are other theme it's songs. Like being in prison. I, I, look, I, I can sit and give you, you know, Jed Clampett and O2. Yeah, sure. I can give you every word of that as if it was yesterday, but yeah. I can't remember, you know, this morning. So why do you think that stopped the last great song? For a television show with lyrics was Cheers, and then it stopped. They don't have lyrics anymore. Well, there were Cheers. Was it a group of song? Yeah, I mean, I mean, how about Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah, that was great. A a, a song of significance. Yeah. Uh, The the Frasier one wasn't as famous, although I remember it. And Frasier came after Cheers, of course. Well, yeah, but it's it's an outgrowth of Cheers. Yeah. Yes. I, I, you know, I, Tony, everything they don't have it. Friends, maybe? Away. Did Friends have a song I never watched? Yeah, 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 it was by the Reynolds. Seinfeld didn't have a song. No, that was the... It yeah. stopped. And because I know what Mike is going to say, because millennials have ruined our culture, <laughs> right? Well, millennials and Gen Xers, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, they've, they've, they killed it. They didn't just ruin it. They let it go. Yeah, they just, let go of the rope. 
Yeah, and now we have, no, we have nothing. All right, let me get to a few things. Um, the most exciting things that happened yesterday in football were the two two-point conversions. As I said in the open, I would have gone if I was Jacksonville because they're three and seven, and you go and you give Trevor Lawrence a chance to bounce into the next game. I would not have gone if I were the San Diego Chargers, even though their coach goes for everything all the time. You said you would have gone for both. Yeah, how much time was left in the San Diego game? Not much. I mean, it was it wasn't. It's like as a last drive, obviously, Trevor. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't as late, but it was like a minute, right? I thought it was under a minute. Okay, then yeah, because then you're you're basically saying, okay, do I have a better chance to win this game in overtime or now with a two point conversion from the two? Or three, or whatever it's from. I'm, I'm okay with that. And he, he's a lunatic, and he'll be fired if they don't make the playoffs. But you always hate when people go for two. No, I don't hate I hate it when it's dumb and they go for two. You hate it when they go on fourth? Or I hate often? it when they go for two in the second quarter okay. and they've got a numbers chart. Okay. It's like, hey, dope, that presumes there's going to be no more scoring in this game. Right. That's when people are fools. And so, you know, but I don't think that at the end of a game like that, no. I thought Trevor Lawrence finally looked like the overall number one pick, like one of the well, he's, great he's college quarterbacks moments. ever, well, right? He's had some moments where he's looked like that. Why? Well, this was more significant. Two in the, the fourth game. quarter. Two touchdowns yeah. in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I watched, you know, my friend Brian Dunmore uh, is here for, was here for the holidays in D.C., and we had an old-fashioned view yesterday where I'm watching with, you know, Neville and Dwayne McKnight and, and Brian Dunmore and, and Matthew, and we're watching the three TVs, and, and Brian has lived the last 25 years of his life. In Jacksonville. In, in Jacksonville. Yeah. And so he, you know, he's turned to, I tell him, look, dude, you, you don't get to just call everybody we. You know, he lived in uh, Kansas City for a long time, and, 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 and I, I just, and he's from Cleveland, and Cleveland is his only a real we. But he cares about Jacksonville. Can you turn the Jacksonville game on? I'm like, Brian, don't push it. <laughs> um, but because Brian was here, it was great to have him. We wanted to watch him more of that. It's a great game. Trevor than we, we watched two Trevors yesterday, my Trevor and his Trevor. Right. Right. Um, yeah, your Trevor was pressed into action because Fields couldn't go. Right. Right. He nearly couldn't go. So Ridiculous. There's one of the obvious questions out of yesterday is is this: Who is Mike White, and why yeah. did Robert Sala wait so long to find him? Who well, is why he? Why did the Jets wait? Why did they have to go draft this guy to BYU? Who is this Mike White? Who is he? He's already around. He had like the greatest debut game in the history of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, he's so much. He's so yes. much so Tony that the jersey from that game is in the Football Hall of Fame. Really. Yeah, he was that good. He was he was he was better in his rookie debut, whatever that was, a couple of years ago, than he was yesterday. And yesterday he had a non-team to play against. The Bears had like no players in the entire game. It's fine. He you still got to complete those passes. But they knew he could do this because he'd actually done it. And then why go out and draft this dope that they now hate? Not because he lost last week, but because of the way he the way he conducted himself. And that's why they got rid of him for yesterday, and now they got to get rid of him, period, at least for the foreseeable future. That means... And let this Mike White play. Do you know what that means? That means in the last four years, 
the Jets will have spent a number three pick on Sam Darnold. Yeah. And a number two pick on Zach Wilson. Yeah. And it's who's doing the drafting? Yeah, who's doing the thinking? Like, who's doing the thinking? Who's doing the evaluating? Who's doing the developing or not developing? Because if you got this guy and you, he played well enough to have his jersey from his first start in the, one more time, Hall of Fame. What college did he go to? I, I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. I don't know him at all. I mean, Mike I heard White. it all. Look, I watched that whole game. Because right. Because it's team. the Bears. Yeah, I understand. But I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I started reading a little bit about him just, you know, before the game. Before the game. Because I also thought that Nathan Peterman was going to start for the Bears. I remember him. This is a non-game, but I still I watched it because that's what I do. You, you uh, like you with the Nats? Yeah, I watch him. Um, you know, I watched this. The, the, you know, I've stayed with it for a while, and I got rid of it. You like but, Washington at this point, don't you? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think that Washington can beat. I'm not saying they're better than, but in one game, and we're going to see it again. Not with the Eagles, who they beat, but Dallas. I think they can beat the Giants and the Cowboys. I do. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think they're up to it. I think there's a toughness about them. I think they actually have something that that I'm not going to use in terms of the organization, but I'll use in terms of the team. They actually collectively seem to have some character. They have a spine. And they, they, play, they play in the way that their head coach played football and was in the culture of that same sort of thing. They also they got incredibly lucky. Atlanta is going to win that game twenty to nineteen. It looks like it. They're gonna win that game and then a ball gets batted and there's this interception that you yeah. gasp. I mean, and that that's different from a guy throwing a bad pass. That's soul crushing because well, they're going I mean, to this win. Is, this is the way games swing. They're going to win, Atlanta. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the Washingtons are really any good in terms of right. the I'm just saying they have they can beat you. We just saw it. We saw it with Philly. They're going to win at least one of these two Giants games. They could win them both. They're going to win at least one of them. And I, you know, and then they, they got the Cowboys. I'm, I'm I'm anxious to see what what goes down. Yeah, me too on that one. Mike White, by the way, um, Nigel finds out South Florida and Western Kentucky. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know anything. No idea. Don't know anything about him. I'm also beginning to like Cincinnati again. I'm looking at Burrow, and I do think he's the real deal. I do. And they don't have Jamar Chase. I don't think that's like a question anymore. I I just think that they um, seem to have finally done what San Diego can't do. Right. Gotten over themselves. Right. You know, they've they've gotten over themselves. They really have. Um, And so, yeah, they, they got a shot in the AFC. I mean, they're not as good as Miami. Miami, to me, is the, is the second-best team after Kansas City in the AFC. I agree with that. And, and the more I talk about San Francisco, I have to caution myself because yeah. Philadelphia is really good. Well, so is San Francisco. Yep. So is Philly. And, yep. you know, I, nobody's great. Nobody's great. And I think, the, I think the Vikings are better than most people think they are. Um, they're certainly not great. So teams are good enough that you become interested and you stay with it and you say, all right, so who's got potential greatness in them? Maybe Kansas City. Maybe. I'm not sold on greatness in them. 
Well, they got a they got a great quarterback. Well, they do. His they numbers. Do. I mean, I mean, did you look, see Tampa that graphic? A great quarterback, and they're not any good. Did you see the graphic they showed yesterday? Yeah, uh, the what we first at seventy five after seventy five games. At his first seventy five games, Patrick Mahomes is ranked one in yeah, every, every statistical category, category all time. Yeah, all time. Yeah, that guy. And yet he's won one. He's won one. Okay, you know? that's I right. Mean, and and Rogers. Who now? We don't know what this injury is nope. yet. No, nope. no. But Rodgers has won one. One. It's not the NBA. It isn't. It's not the NHL, where great players almost always win multiples. It's not. No, no, it's not. Uh, it's no, it's not. All right, I will. Oh, just before we get out, Pat Forty's on next. I will ask him if he thinks that Caleb Williams won the Heisman in beating Notre Dame, but who are your four right now? Who are your four? I saw, I woke up in the middle of the night, uh, and I can't go back to sleep for a little bit, and I started reading, and Feinbaum has them convinced. Look, the four is the four. There's no debate. There's no story here. There, there isn't. I mean, I know we're going to do it. We're gonna, the four is the four. It's, it's that, there's, that's it. It's like next story. The four are, of course, Georgia, um, Michigan, and I guess those are one and two. I agree. Um, USC is four, and who am I leaving out? TCU. TCU is three. Well, you're leaving out Ohio State. You've no, decided. Yeah, because they're out. Yeah. Because they lost like dogs at home. They got their butts kicked. They got trampled in the horseshoe. The Ohio State University. Nice. Thanks for playing the game. Have a nice, <laughs> have a nice season. They're done. I don't want to hear about them. I don't want to hear it. I know that my commissioner, who's also my friend, I understand that Kevin has said, yes, of course they deserve to be. Each week, he should say he should feel that way, and he does, and he should say that he should. And I'm on, on many levels an agent of the Big Ten in terms of my own involvement in my life and my obligations and my duties. And I love the conference. Don't tell me Ohio State belongs in. They don't. They got trashed at home by the school up north. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear about Ohio State today. Not this week, not again, unless one of those schools ahead of them loses. That's it. They're done. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We will come back with Pat Forty. I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Bloodkin. This is sent to us by... Eric Lee Carter, um, who said, after the dust settled and with the help of some dear friends who had played with us at various times over the years, we started getting back to work, playing our songs old and new to enthusiastic little crowds. Our town of Athens, that's where the University of Georgia has even presented us with a plaque displayed on the Athens Music Walk of Fame. Over 20 years after Spin Magazine had voted us one of the top 100 bands you'd never heard of, and our buddies from the more successful band Widespread Panic continue to play several of our tunes in their live shows. They've even recorded a couple of them and have championed mine and Danny's music for decades. 
So I feel that one of my missions for remaining time here on this planet is to try and honor my fallen musical brother and the work that we did together. There's a lot of it to hear, and it can be found on the usual streaming places. You can find out more about our story at Bloodkin, B-L-O-O-D-K-I-N dot net. Eric Lee Carter writes that and sends us Cantina Fever, which plays in Pat Forty. You can listen, of course, to this music in full at the end of the podcast, Michael, if people want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonyquinizershow.com. Can I just say that I got I got the Johnny O. Cashmere sweater. Ooh. I think it's called the Lenny. Yes. It's really great. It's really great. Feel really good about that. And I got a sport jacket that I won't comment on till people see it on PTI. Okay. Pat Forty joins us. We lean on Pat Forty so much. It's like he's a cane. That's how much we lean on Pat Forty. But but when this stuff is going on, he's the only person to talk to. Wilbon was just on, and Wilbon ended by saying, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. Done, done, done. Ohio State rolled at home. Done. Don't tell me they're in the top four. I'm going to present certain scenarios in which they will be in the top four, but let's start with this, Pat. That was unexpected. The way Michigan won was unexpected, right? Oh, it was shocking. I was there, and I said at halftime, I said, you know, Michigan's lucky it's close. They've got eight things to fix at halftime. Ohio State just has to get out of their own way, and they're going to win and maybe win comfortably. And then everything flipped, and Michigan destroyed them, and Ohio State absolutely fell apart in the second half. So a good friend of mine, an Ohio State grad who lives in Columbus, Ohio, as soon as that game was over, texted me, we need to fire Ryan Day this afternoon. I said, whoa, this seems like a bit of an overreaction. And he said, no, he doesn't beat the good teams. He pads his record. He doesn't beat the good teams. I can't see that at all. Can you? (laughs) Um in a sane world, absolutely not. Nobody gets fired with a 45-5 and record, <laughs> a, a .900 winning percentage. Right. Um, but I'm telling you, one thing I noticed, you know, you know how these things go. It, Michigan scores to go up, I don't know, two touchdowns, and so we head down to the field with about four minutes to play. You're going through the crowd – and I was expecting, you know, kind of vacant looks and dejection and that sort of No, people were mad. And then we got down to the field and you heard what people were yelling at the Ohio State bench. You suck, Ryan Day. Bring back Urban. This is terrible. I mean, it was a mad, angry, ugly crowd at the end there. And they, you know, they have risen their expectations to the point that they expect to win national titles, not just come close but to win them and they absolutely expect to beat michigan uh urban meyer spoiled them on that front where he never lost to michigan and so that became the expectation and ryan day not only has lost twice in a row he's gotten thumped twice in a row with teams that were favored well let's go down that rabbit hole can you imagine a circumstance in which ohio state reaches out to urban meyer the disgraced urban meyer no. Okay. No, I cannot. No, no. I, I, that, that, that's fan wishful thinking. I don't think, I don't think Ohio State wants any more of what Urban Meyer did for them. Although he won a lot of games, but he also exhausted everyone around him. You know, when when he was ready to go, 
in 2018, they were ready for him to go as well. So uh, I don't see that. I, you know, it's one of those situations. I, I would be shocked if even in, even next year, I would think Ryan Day could probably lose to Michigan again and not be fired if he's winning all the rest of his games. So I, I don't see them getting to that point. But it's it, it's a very restless fan base right now, just in terms of whether. They gave Boy Wonder the keys to the Cadillac, and he can actually do something other than drive it into a ditch. Yeah, I get that. By the way, speaking of coaches that I thought were unhirable, and I would say Urban Meyer is unhirable, that's just me. You freeze. How is this guy getting back in? (laughs) It's Auburn, man. It's (laughs) Auburn. (laughs) You're kidding, right? This guy? Uh, I mean, keep your eyes on it. It's, this is Monday morning. We'll see what happens today uh, and, or, and or tomorrow. But. Is there nobody who runs Auburn University? Is there no chancellor or president can say, okay, hold on, not this guy. Not this guy. Uh, <laughs> Auburn is Auburn, man. I, I mean, it's, it's the weirdest, most dysfunctional athletic academic consortium uh, in the country. I mean, it really is. Wow. They, you know, they're. It is a booster-driven place. It is a football-obsessive place where they really don't care about as long as they win. I mean, they they they've at least stopped even any pretense of caring otherwise. So I, I respect them for that. But uh, if you go from Lane Kiffin to Hugh Freeze, you're interested in one thing. You're interested in winning football games, and both those guys can do that. Uh, speaking of choke jobs, Oregon, LSU, and Clemson, how about them over the weekend? How about them? Yeah, it's pretty spectacular choke jobs. Uh, really, LSU the worst, I think. Oh. Texas A&M was just absolutely dead. I mean, that program had been horrible this year, and they went and got thumped. Uh, so that, that was a massive no-show. Clemson, South Carolina. South Carolina had made it pretty clear they were a dangerous program you know uh, they obviously blew out Tennessee the week before uh, and Clemson's just not that good not 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 anywhere near the level they were for many years um, and then Oregon just gave the game away they did uh, they did <laughs> that was I watched that they stunk they really <laughs> yeah. did they just they were ahead I believe 31 to seven and then it's just like I thought it was 31 10 can do wrong yeah then they might just be. You know, maybe if you concentrated less on the color of your dopey uniforms and more on how to play football, maybe that would be better. Um, you mentioned South Carolina. This is the question I wrote down. Where have they been hiding? How it, that's two, They beat two top ten teams in successive weeks. How did they lose four games out of their first seven? How did that happen? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean... I watched them some, and they weren't very good early on. They really weren't. Uh, I mean, a, a disappointing Missouri team handled them. Uh, you know, they, even some of their early wins were, were unimpressive wins. Uh, so Spencer Rattler, the, the quarterback who was at Oklahoma, yeah. has been kind of a hide-and-seek talent guy, you know. Like, he, everybody is sure he has extreme talent, and then – Sometimes you see it, and then there are weeks and weeks and weeks at a time when you don't. And the last two games, holy moly, he's been on. Agreed. He showed the talent. Agree. Who coaches them? Who's the coach at South Carolina? 
Shane Beamer, Frank Beamer's son. Really? Yes. Who a lot of thought, people thought got the job because his last name was Beamer, but right. he's done a heck of a job for two years now. I mean, he's got him up off the deck, and he's doing really well in recruiting. Uh, you know, they could be they could be a threat here in the years to come. All right, I'm going to get to uh, the, the critical questions, which are the four in, but let me also say this, and I'm, I'll get your opinion on this, Pat. If this were an eight-team tournament, I'd bet the ranch on Alabama. I would. How about you? Uh, no, I can't go there. I just, I, I'm not in love with this Alabama team. I, you know, they, they've had some games they look very impressive. They've had a lot of games they did not. I just don't think they have enough offensive firepower at receiver. Um, it's gotten better a little bit here the last week or two, but I think Bryce Young was dragging the offense through the season for a lot of it. Uh, and, I, and defensively, they just don't make enough plays, not enough turnovers. So I, I, I would not take Alabama in an eight-teamer, but they would be in it. Oh, they have to be in it. All right, so let's complicate everything. Because we both agree that if TCU uh, wins the Big 12 championship, they're going to be in. They're undefeated. They're going to be in. Michigan is going to be in. Georgia is going to be there. Those three are in no matter what. Nobody is going to argue about that. So then it comes down to probably USC and Ohio State. If USC loses next week, they're out. They have two losses. They're out. Nobody's going to say a word about that. But if they win, then they have one loss and a major conference championship, and they have a pretty good game against Notre Dame, and they likely have the Heisman Trophy winner, and they have geographical distribution for the tournament. But Ohio State's got one loss, and it's to the number two team in the country. It's a better loss because you don't even know. USC's loss is to nobody. Nobody ranked, right? Nobody ranked? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, Utah's ranked. Okay. And it was, yeah, by a point uh, on the road in, in a game in which you, USC never trailed until the last minute. Okay. So make the case. What do you think happens in that room if they both, if Ohio's, and then also if TCU loses? If, do it both ways. If TCU wins, they're in. How do you decide between Ohio State and a Pac-10 championship USC? And if all three have one loss, where does it go? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the crux of the matter. That's, that's where the tension will lie if it comes down that way. I think TCU can afford a loss and get in. I think on the strength of their season overall uh, and winning 12 games and being 9-0 and in a good conference top to bottom, that I think TCU can afford a close, you know, respectable loss to Kansas State in the championship game. So I do think it would come down to a USC-Ohio State resume contest. I would certainly take USC if USC wins the Pac-12. If they don't win it, I still think that there's an argument. I may be completely wrong, but here's the point. And we talked about this on our podcast yesterday. Myself, Dan Wetzel, Ross Dellinger, uh, College Football Inquirer podcast. There's your pitch. Good. Um, by, by, by all means, plug your own podcast. It's 40 million <laughs> podcasts out there. Sure, of course. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was just yours and ours. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Uh, so it, Dan made the point that why should USC be penalized for playing an additional game against a good opponent if they don't win, considering their record at this point at 
with a one-point loss on the road to a good team uh, is, is all, that's, all that's gone against them, that they were better against Notre Dame than Ohio State was against Notre Dame. And now, see, this is why I hate conference championship games, Tony. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they don't help. They only serve as double jeopardy for the best teams, give them a chance to screw up a good season. Uh, and so you're going to play this game and give the USC a chance to do exactly that um, and, and allow a team that didn't win his division, didn't win his conference, to skeet in without having played a 13th game. So that's the debate. I, I, I mean, you could go either way. Look, if USC gets housed by Utah, there probably is no debate. You know, Ohio State backs into this. But uh, a close USC loss, I wonder, and then Alabama, too, would be sitting there. But I, I think there would be some debate about who number four is. Well, let me, let me just come back at that. If they lose to Utah twice, if those are their losses twice to Utah, why isn't Utah in it? You know what I mean? I, 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 <laughs> yeah, would, yeah. I would not be able to defend USC if they lost twice to the same team. I would not. Yeah, I mean, that, that would absolutely be part of the difficulty of the sell. Then... Like to say, if you're if you're arguing this in a court of law, the court would, the, you would just have to say, well, the system is bad, and this game shouldn't even count, which is really yeah. pretty, a pretty tough sell. But you think TCU would still get in? I do, I do. I you know, wow. I I could be wrong, but Kansas State's good, and if you lose to them by a touchdown, I, I don't think that would be a disqualifier, but. You know, we'll see. Do you? I, do yeah, you, I will say. Go ahead. To your point, Ohio State brand name is huge. Yeah, following is huge. They just their last impression was so bad. That's that, Wilbon's that's point. Wilbon, yeah. of course, shut up. Just everyone, shut up. They got killed <laughs> at home. They got trucked. Get them out of it. Um, it's it's interesting. I don't know if you know the people in the room. Do they think locally or do they think globally? Because if you think globally. You want to put in Michigan, Georgia, TCU, and USC because you got the whole country. That's what you want. But if you think locally, Ohio State is a bigger draw than even now a bigger draw than USC because USC has been down for 10 years, 12 years. Right. Yeah. Um, They're supposed to (laughs) they're supposed to just think of the four best teams in a vacuum. Right. That's you know, that's the nice theory. I. Honestly, I, I just wonder, I, th- I think they would be more prone to th- thinking globally. And I think we talked about this before, that yeah. it would be better for the sport to have a Los Angeles represented here. Sure. I mean, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be bad for Ohio State to be in, too. But in terms of an actual national sport, much better to actually have four regions and four conferences represented. Uh, I think that probably as much... <laughs> pettiness and, and rivalry in the room as, as there is anywhere else in terms of, you know, like Ward, Ward Manuel is the athletic director for Michigan. He's on the committee. Does he really want to see Ohio State in there? No. I don't know. I, you know, he doesn't have to accuse himself. I don't believe on them. He does, obviously, on Michigan. So, you know, I, I will see. I, I would just – it would be the greatest thing ever if they would let the media in to listen to these things. Sure. But they, of course, never will. No. I wouldn't. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't. Thank you for doing this. Plug your podcast again so everybody knows where to get it. College Football Inquirer, Dan Wetzel, Mace, myself, and Ross Dellinger. Uh, Yahoo produced. You can get it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Fantastic. Thank you, and we lean on you terribly.
I appreciate my it. My pleasure. I love to. It's an honor to be your cane. <laughs> that 40, boys and girls. We'll take a break. And we will have email and a jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. One, two, three, four. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your email, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of your folks. It's lovely. Greg Rosendahl, Lindsay Merrill. You want to do the Bethesda bagel ad, please? Yes, uh, we got the bagel sandwiches today. Always a great day for that. Yes. Uh, uh, just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let's do the first and original Mamas and Papas great hit. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. I've been for a walk on a winter's day. I'd be safe and warm if I was in L.A., California dreaming on such a winter's day. They were a great group. Fabulous group. Yes. It got very icky at icky, the end. Yes. It got icky, but they were great. Thanks to our guests, Michael Wilbon and Pat Forty. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, Simply Safe Freshly Harry's Razors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. If I read nothing else than Greg Garcia's email, <laughs> that would be enough. Tony. When I was texting with you on Friday after spending an exhausting morning attending sample classes at my son's hippie boarding school, or as my oldest son refers to it, Amish Hogwarts, <laughs> I had yet to listen to the podcast. So when I was sending you pictures of my son in a TK Embrace Your Inner Orange t-shirt and my original poems detailing his English teacher forcing us all to take turns reciting lines from a composition written by none other than Louise Gluck, <laughs> I didn't fully appreciate when you texted me that Ippolito continues to write as though he has some talent. It wasn't until later that night when my wife's family was distracted by what I have to assume is a six million piece puzzle due to the excruciating amount of time it's taking to complete that I was able to escape to a back bedroom and listen to the podcast. I was entertained by Anne, once again refusing to review the smash hit of the year sprung. And as always, I enjoyed every word out of Sansy's mouth, whether he has to talk about golf or stuffing. But it wasn't until I heard you read Joey Ippo's latest correspondence pursuing a creative collaboration with me that I realized the true weight of your text. I concur that the Ip continues to write as though he has some talent. So I have good news and bad news for the Ip. The good news is that he is in fact a talented writer and has the potential to be great. At the ripe age of 40, he still has plenty of time to kick the business degree to the curb, pick up a pen and continue the time-honored tradition of the scribes that litter the branches of his family tree. In fact, I'm ready to admit that the Ip may be a better writer than me. Or is it than I? I bet the Ip would know. Either way, he's better than me am. So that's the good news. The bad news is I don't work with writers who are better than me. Never have, never will. Good luck, Joe. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It really is. Brilliant beyond words. Thanks, Greg. From, Mac, uh, from Mark Cartman. Never emailed you before. I thought you'd enjoy this. I have retired in beautiful Dana Point, California, a beach town halfway between L.A. and San Diego, but I grew up in Baltimore. I went to my local CVS pharmacy yesterday to pick up my statin prescription. I'm happy to say it's the only legal drug I take. It was free. 
When I was there, I decided to use the $5 off a $20 purchase coupon they gave me when I got my latest COVID booster. So I got some random toiletries and stuff to hit the $20 mark. I did pretty well because the total came to $21, so that meant I only had to pay $16. But the cashier asked if I wanted to use the $10 coupon I had on file, and I said sure. So now it was just $6. I took the famous CVS multi-page receipt and saw that it contained another coupon for $8 off my next purchase. (laughs) So I bought basically a three-month supply of my statin and $21 worth of other stuff, and they basically paid me $2 for all of it. (laughs) That's how the world should work. That's a good day. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's why when I went to Michael's house for Thanksgiving dinner, I wore the orange pants. Oh. The orange pants that cost yes. me nothing. Getting use out of them. Right? Oh, yeah. Have you, have you ever seen this happen at CVS? You can all do it by entering your phone number. It just goes, would you like to apply a 90-cent coupon? Sure, keep them coming. One yes. more. One more. <laughs> right. Unbelievable. I love stealing a good coupon from Liz because it's still tied to her number. <laughs> Here's one. I know your pain. I have an L5S1 situation, and if I play too much golf, it flares up. By the way, I've been on Loyal Little Podcast, episode 172, regards DG. It's good to know. From Kenny Ray, who's been emailing us forever. Yes. In Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And this is from a while back. This Thursday, I'll be flying a pilot proficiency sortie from Hurlbut Field, Florida, the home of Air Force Special Operations Command. My student and I will be practicing simulated engine out landings. And given that our airplane only has one engine, it's kind of important. The goal is to end up over the airfield at 2,000 feet, properly configure the airplane for landing, analyze the winds, manage your airspeed and altitude without your only engine so you don't overshoot or undershoot the runway and don't get distracted and inadvertently stall the airplane because at that altitude you will most certainly die. I want to let you know that I'm available for an in-game interview while this is going on because I'm sure I have nothing else to pay attention to. I mean, come on, man. What are we even doing here, man? I would fly with Kenny Ray. I would. If he becomes a private pilot, I'll Ke- fly with Kenny, him. Kenny, you're unnoticed. Yeah. From Matt Rousset in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, home of Lawrenceville Academy, where Bob Ryan went to school. Oh, sure. I think his dad was the AD. I think Bob Ryan's dad was the AD at Lawrenceville. I'm not sure. You know Lawrenceville, right? I do. I mean, Blair used to compete with him. Yeah, a lot of, lot of Wednesday afternoon drives <laughs> oh. with, the, with the girls' junior varsity squash team. Okay. Begging to go to Hoagie Haven <laughs> in traffic at 6 p.m. <laughs> It doesn't sound like you loved it. I love those days. Okay. <laughs> Dear Mr. Tony, Jeff Mom mentioned that one of the pioneers of analytics in sports, Nate Silver, was from Chicago. To. You only you lost to Three them? years of coaching. The only team I ever lost to, Oof. Lawrenceville. Really? Grudge match. Please let me know if Wilbon has suddenly become a believer in analytics because Nate Silver is from Chicago. I don't oh. think so. From Chris Van Sells in Forest Hill, Maryland. During the opening of a show, a Wednesday show a week back, You were talking about the kid on Binghamton's basketball team from Northeast Maryland. You also mentioned the exit for Northeast as I was pulling onto the ramp. How about that? It's not quite a DA moment, but I'll take what I can get. I'm also happy to report there is no construction on I-95 between Northeast and Bel Air. Elliot Olshansky, who always seems to drop in the fact that he went to Dartmouth. Have you noticed (laughs) that? Hmm. Always does. Here we go. Like you, I watched some of the Binghamton-Maryland game on the Big Ten Network last week as the woman to whom I'm related by marriage is a Maryland alum. Hearing you talk about the game on the show, I couldn't help but chuckle when you talked about Maryland being in Binghamton's recruiting area. My thoughts immediately turned to a game I attended in December 2002 when I was a junior at Dartmouth. Yeah, I know, not a subtle brag. The Big Green hosted Binghamton on a Tuesday night, and one Binghamton player immediately caught my attention. Nick Billings, a 7-1 center from Kodiak, Alaska. 
This certainly sheds some light on the size of Binghamton's recruiting area, but there's more to the story. <laughs> By this time, I'd become friendly with the lead sports writer for the Valley News, Bruce Wood, who is himself a loyal little and is likely listening while he walks his golden retriever, Griff. Bruce pointed out in the media guide that Billings had a very interesting major, human development. I'm not sure what Mr. Billings is doing today, but at seven foot one, I have to imagine he did quite well in human development. <laughs> Best regards from Suffolk County, where Binghamton will not be visiting this year now that Stony Brook has left for the CAA. Yeah. And then we used to, do we have a game, you might be a little if. Scott Gurney sent a couple in. He said, if you hear the term refugee and immediately think Safeway, you might be a little. And if you've ever been honked at while sitting at a traffic light because you're admiring the symmetry of the license plate on the car in front of you, <laughs> you might be a little. Yeah. That, you know, and also, you know, you're a little from Tim in the Midwest. You know, you're a little if someone tells you their height is 5 and 11 and you respond, not very good, 5'11". <laughs> not, not the worst. <laughs> no, not the worst. Certainly not the worst in the league. Yeah. Okay. Is there one more from Jake Weber in Potomac? Or Jake Weber. W-E-B-E-R could be Weber, not Weber. Could be Weber, yes. Because that's Weber State. That's right. Right? I wanted to let you know about the birth of a new little. The woman to whom I'm related to by marriage, this is a while back, and I welcomed our first child, a masculine child, on September 9th. First of all, how about that birth date? 9-9-22. Pretty good, huh? Well, 9-9-18. Would have been better. You know. Yeah. Or 11-11-22. Yeah. Someone's marriage. Nine nine twenty two. What do you think, Michael? It's all right. It's okay. However, the main reason I'm emailing you is because due to your experience nicknaming the Bootsy, the Hammer, and the Captain, I was wondering if you could help me out because there's a lot of ways we can take this with a date like that, and this is interesting. With number nine, we can go with the kid, Ted Williams, mm. Sonny, Sonny Jurgensen, the Rocket, Maurice Richard, plus many others. With 99, well, there's only one real option, isn't there? And that would be Wayne Gretzky, of course. That said, I just can't get that birth date out of my head. So what about doubles? It incorporates the full date. There's nothing more exciting than a daily double in Jeopardy. And he can shorten it to dubs when he's older. A nickname go-to for anyone, first or last name that starts with a W. Love the show. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. And also, any idea on how far in advance I need to book the great zucchini? And is there a code for that? <laughs> and I will tell you this. Matt Williamson who works at PTI and comes over here whenever Nigel is not here. Matt Williamson's nickname is Dubs. Loves it. Yeah, it's a good nickname. Dubs, I think we found the nickname. Dubs, Dubs is a good nickname. So, Jake, I would go with Dubs. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Victor Wimbanyama, Victor Wimbanyama, Victor Wimbanyama. <laughs>
Sing out up to the 